And today we have a very special guest, CNN commentator, political analyst, author, attorney, Bakari Sellers joining me today. Going to be a very, very special conversation. As you know, I do this podcast separate from the crew. It gives me an opportunity to delve into topics outside of what most people know me for, which is the NFL. So very much looking forward to this conversation, particularly in the wake of everything that happened, even though that is sports related, in the NFL with Lamar Jackson yesterday. And I'm just curious to get his perception of it uh, with regards to how some of the people perceive what was going on in the wake of him getting tagged and, you know, just his lawyer mind around it, his sports mind around it, and obviously some of his political views and societal views with everything that's going on in the world today. So lots to talk about with Bakari Sellers. Uh, before we get into that really quickly, I always like to let you know that you can get my podcast wherever you do get your podcast, download and subscribe. You can also go to Undefined with Josina Anderson. I will be posting the new season up there uh, very soon, but you can always go on your phone and get it from there. Uh, but without further delay, uh, let's bring in our guest, Bakari Sellers. Bakari, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoy this show and it's an awesome opportunity to be on with you today. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about when I was like, what do I want to talk to Bakari about? And one of the things that came to my mind as I was just kind of thinking about life, particularly post-pandemic is, and I wonder if you share this observation with me, I feel like people, I don't know, are a little bit more tribal, a little bit more aggressive. Um, I don't know, maybe the word is just kind of more mean at times as people were recovering from the trauma of just everything that they went through and the personal fallout from being, you know, uh, in their homes for so long. Uh, is that an observation that you share or what do you think about that just in general? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think we've become more polarized. I think individuals have gone to their respective corners. We become more siloed where we only seek out news and opinion that reinforce our own. I think though we've been on that steady trajectory for a decade now. I think that we started to see a lot of it after the election of Barack Obama in 2008. Mm. And we started to continue to see that trend over time. You know, one of the things that that I can honestly say uh, contributes to that some um, is social media, because people now can say whatever they want to say to somebody else, either in a reply or comment um, and not have any true consequence for it. And then the 24 hour news cycle, um, you see uh, it, you having to feel uh, those 24 hours with something and sometimes even disinformation and misinformation. So the more we have social media, the more we have the 24 hour news cycle, the more tribal to use your word we become and the more siloed. So it, it means our discourse, whether or not it's sports, entertainment, politics or culture has just devolved. And that is frustrating at times. And when I think about all those things that you were just mentioning, one of the things that I kind of transitioned to mentally was just even the new life and ecosystem and new tone at the place that you work at CNN, particularly since the exit of Jeff Zucker and, and with the uh, with the new head uh, guy in charge, uh, Chris Light, and one of the ethos being wanting to have more balanced perspectives on the platform. I'm curious what that's been like, you know, in terms of that transition and seeing that effort, particularly in the light of what we were just talking about and some of the separatism and angst that we feel coming out of the pandemic when you guys were going through that transition. Yeah, and you know, Chris has been successful everywhere he's gone. Um, 
mostly around morning shows or even the Colbert show. I mean, he has a history in this. I do not. I, they pay me for uh, my opinion. So I have a great deal of faith that um, he's going to be able to direct and steer this network. Um, it's a changing time. And mm -hmm. one of the things is it's different now with a, a, pre a president that relies more on normalcy uh, than a president who was more haphazard in the way that he interacted or handled himself throughout the day. And so when you had those type of issues that were just popping up, I mean, when Donald Trump was president, we had three, four, five, six, seven, eight news cycles in one day. Now you have more of a steady, deliberate um, serving of news throughout the day. So it's easier. I think that our network's real test, every network, MSNBC, CNN, um, Fox News, the real test will be as we kind of emerge into this new cycle. I mean, we're in a presidential campaign right now. I mean, you've already had Nikki, Nikki Haley announce, Tim Scott is about to announce, you've had Donald Trump announce, Ron DeSantis is going to announce soon. Um, you've even had somebody announce against Joe Biden, although it, it ain't much of, of a candidacy. So you're going to have like, you, you're, you're going to now see the rubber meet the road and people are going to now have real conversations. And we'll see if our organization is nimble enough, which I believe it to be, to be able to cover all the news of the day. Well, it definitely feels a lot, you know, different. And I, I do notice the effort to, you know, just introduce even, and it's not that there wasn't a representation of um, conservative uh, viewpoints before, but I, I do notice it, I would say even more. And in just kind of speaking of, you know, the workplace, one of the things that I also <laughs> noticed in general in, in society, whether it be at y'all's place or at different networks or just in general is the, uh, you know, the movement of men in the workplace and some of the different headlines that have come up, obviously, whether it be TJ or Don or, or even Andrew Cuomo or what have you. When you just think about you yourself, and obviously you're not connected to any of those headlines or incidents, but how has that impacted how even you think about how you move as a man in a workspace? Well, I don't even think Don really deserves to be in that same category or space either. And I think all three of those situations are vastly Very different. different. Correct. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I wish uh, Chris the best of luck at News Nation. Um, have, I don't know TJ um, at all. And Don is still a good friend of mine and showed that we're still learning. We still make mistakes and we still have to. I think he'll even tell you that he, he made a mistake and he just growing up in a household full of women like Don did. He has to uh, learn to be better than that. And hopefully I'm sure he is and it's continuing to be better. But for me, it's one day at a time. It's the same basic connotation that I've always lived with, which is to make my parents proud, make my wife and children proud. I don't have to change anything. Um, it's always be true to myself and speak my truth. And I think that when you do those things, there are still, I mean, even Don Lemon, but you look at it, you look at individuals who, who are doing it, doing it very well. I mean, uh, one of my best friends in the business is Craig Melvin. Um, you know, somebody who's been around for a long period of time and doing it well. Somebody who um, finds himself to be more on the edge, like my friend Charlemagne the God. I mean, it's just, it's it's space. You got to create that space. Um, you have to own that space and you have to continue to grow. If I'm the same man um, next year that I was last year, then I failed. And so I just want to continue to grow and be healthy, healthy and mature, et cetera. You know, and it would feel like just regardless of whether you're a man, female or whatever, that you have to be just in general. I even feel this as a female. You just have to be so much more vigilant and the sensitivities and just overall people, you know, becoming 
as we talked about the topic from the outset of this interview, you know, more sensitive, quick to be offended, quick to be outraged. And even under that tone, Bakari, I'm just curious as we were talking about the landscape of how men or just whoever is operating in the workspaces now, I'm curious how you would summarize in your view how the landscape of the presidential election is uh, shaping up with regards to who you anticipate being on the main tickets representative of the parties or however you would like to summarize that? Yeah, no, I think you're going to have a lot of the same. I think the same campaign you had in 2020 is going to be the same campaign you have in 2024. I think you're going to have uh, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. I think that uh, one of the unique things about um, Donald Trump is he's tossed out those sensibilities. For some people, that's very refreshing. Um, you know, he doesn't care about cancel culture. He says whatever comes to his mind. Um, he doesn't really care who he offends. Um, and he has an allergy to the truth. Um, you have Joe Biden, who is slightly older than Donald Trump, who's going to have to navigate the, the tone, tenor, and um, difficulty of a campaign that is going to be very rough and rugged over a period of time, but does have a, a record to run on. But at the end of the day, you're going to have two individuals who are of considerable age um, running for president of the United States against each other. There was just a poll that came out this morning. And for everybody who talks about Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire and other places, and the New Hampshire poll had Donald Trump getting 45 percent of the vote and and um, um, and and Ron DeSantis only getting 17 percent. Mm. So, you know, I, it's it's going to be these two gentlemen again. And we'll, it's it's Donald Trump's party. And we'll see what happens. Uh, and speaking of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, you did you did just bring him up. I read the piece that you did in the Root where you were uh, kind of authoring that article on some of the tactics that you feel like he's using to grow his base. Uh, one, why was that important for you to write? And if you could just summarize or headline what you feel like those tactics are that you find concerning. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. We've seen it before. We've seen it with um lee atwater who is kind of the architect of the southern strategy we've seen it before from a lot of southern politicians that date back to another time um so it's rare when we saw it again in 2016 from trump but it's using racism as political currency and i'm not calling donald trump or ron DeSantis racist that's for other people to judge what i am saying is that it's something that's slightly more dangerous than that and that you play on those fears you use that politics of division in order to win races and elections. Um, you know, uh, my, my good friend, Andrew Gillum, started out the debate with, well, not started out the debate, but answered a question in the debate with Ron DeSantis and said, you know, I don't think you're racist, but uh, the racist think you're racist. <laughs> and, um, you know, that is that is utilizing that that type of divisive uh, rhetoric and those divisive tactics as, as currency. Um, very similar to when Donald Trump said on on tv before i went out on the set of state of the union that he didn't know who david duke was everybody know who david duke is <laughs> um, but we also know that on tuesday after we did that mississippi was having their primary and so instead of disavow david duke um and the confederacy of confederate flags he just played footsie with them in order to curry favor with those voters who were going to the polls on that tuesday and so we'll see a lot of that coming forward i don't think it bodes well in a general election but today it still wins and ron DeSantis will give himself a puncher's chance um, in a Republican primary. 
And continuing to kind of speak of Ron DeSantis, because, you know, he obviously I think he was talking today. And one of the topics that uh, came up was just, you know, the support for this uh, bill to ban abortion after six weeks. We're not going to get into all the nuance of that. But I'm curious as a father of three, uh, two daughters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 17 year old daughter and four year old daughter. A 17 year old daughter, Bakari, uh, uh, you know. How do you feel about a world uh, or a country, a society in which, um, you know, we're having to get into these topics? You got five women in Texas suing Texas because they feel like it's infringing uh, their on their rights with health risks that the, you know, that the um, new legislature has impacted with their life. How do you broach that conversation with your daughter and or feel like it is impacting your family or just the women that you love in your life? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, I mean, that's a really good question. And, you know, for me, it's it's um, giving my daughter the freedom to um, uh, have that autonomy over who she is. Um, at 17, there's still a lot of learning to be had, but she and her mother um, have amazing conversations about uh, this maturation process. Um, about individuals who try to encroach or take away your freedoms um, about just because you're a woman and in particular a black woman people will see you as less than i'm very proud of kai's strength you know kai um i share kai she's my bonus daughter um, um she and and vince and um and my wife and um and sunday do a great job of trying to co-parent kai um and she's grown up into a beautiful woman who I think is probably going to attend Howard University next year. And so when we have these conversations, I um, want her to continue to be very active. I want her to know and follow and, and see my example that I'm someone who believes that women should have the ability to do what they feel is in the best interest of their bodies. Because at the end of the day, just mm -hmm. very plainly speaking, mm -hmm. I don't want Joe Biden or Donald Trump dictating what my daughter or wife does with their body. I prefer them and their doctors to make that choice. Yeah. And it's so it's just, I don't know, obviously it's invoked a lot of conversation. It's a very sensitive topic. And, you know, even to that end, you know, when we're talking about sensitive topics, kind of moving from that and um, activism, so to speak, not just on abortion, but just when it comes to uh, black lives and things that are happening with people of color, um, around the country. Um, as I kind of reflect back on last, you know, year and the year before that, and just kind of at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement going even to, you know, what happened with George Floyd all the way to what we see happening uh, with uh, Tyree Nichols and that investigation in Memphis or what have you. Um, do you feel like you see a decrease in the amount of main headlines around uh, police brutality or does having an incident like what happened in Memphis and the Scorpion unit and all that other stuff still feel like it's 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 still too present? Or do you see the impact? Oh, it's of very it? much. No, it's very much too present. I mean, I, I think that people are becoming desensitized to it because we see it so often. You know, I'm a civil rights lawyer. I represent um, a lot of these individuals who go through these things on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, so it's way too present. Um, uh, you but know, I still, still feel like we saw it on TV, you know, like, I mean, and it doesn't mean just because we see it on TV more or less and it, it's happening more or less. I just feel like 
I don't see as many instances of it, at least not across the news. Well, you, I mean, it's in, not, in, a, in a it's not the, it's, first of all, it's not the sexiest story as it once was because people mm -hmm. have seen it. But Tyree Nichols still captivated a country. Mm -hmm. And you have a headline about Louisville um, mm -hmm. Police Department um, um, and, and their review that just occurred from the Department of Justice. You have the Department of Justice now reviewing Memphis, Tennessee's Police Department. So you do have these headlines. You do see the work that's going on. Um, but you're right. There is a level of, of desensitizing that we have because we have become immune to these black bodies that we just see laid out in the street. I mean, we literally were watching videos of Tyree Nichols being bludgeoned, being beaten. I mean, he, he was beaten alive and then left to die. And so with all of those things being said, I think you're probably right that we're seeing it less. My only point to you is that it's not happening any less. And speaking of the work that we're doing, you know, you're someone who's been in the political ecosystem as far as a representative in South Carolina, obviously, uh, you've worked uh, with Vice President Kamala Harris and all that other stuff. Um, I am curious, are you ever going to run for president, Bakari? <laughs> Man, president of what? President of the, not, well, definitely not of a Kappa Alpha Psi or the NAACP. I'm talking about of the United States, Bakari. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, I, uh. You know, that was very difficult. I got a chance to see Barack Obama up close. I got a chance to see Kamala Harris up close. I'm just right now trying to be a good husband and a father. If that opportunity presents itself one day, we may look at it. But mm -hmm. right now, I'm just trying to raise these four four-year-old uh, twins that are um, enough for a, a family to handle. But what would it take, Bakari? What would it take if you say one day that's something that we would potentially? Oh, I think I mean that's it. I've never even really evaluated or thought about it. It, it, it. You, you have to have preparation meeting opportunity. I mean, you'll have some good people. I'm interested to see how Tim Scott um, runs for president. I'm interested to see, um, you know, Joe Biden's reelection. I think we we have enough to chew on right now. So I look forward to that. Mm, okay. Well, one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about real quick as we kind of shift from uh, politics is your relationship to sports. And that's kind of how I also met you as well, because you are a deep fan of the NFL. Matter of fact, a lot of people don't know out there that you're close to cornerback Stephon Gilmore. So I yeah. no, I don't even think I know the story of how y'all became so close other than this Carolina connection. That's enough. That's all you need. That's it's all you Carolina, need. That's a, it's a Carolina connection. I know. Okay. I've known Stefan for a very, 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 very long time, and mm -hmm. he's he's grown into an amazing husband, an amazing father. We live uh, across the street from each other. Um, How did that happen? How are you guys on the same cul-de-sac? Is that I obviously mean, purposeful? <laughs> <laughs> we, we. I do want you to know that he moved over to the other side of the cul-de-sac. Uh, oh, why is that? He, he, yeah. got, he got better grass over there. What happened? What <laughs> yeah, happened? He got better grass. He got a. He got he got uh, that Bill Belichick contract. He moved out the hood. Oh, moved out, okay. Moved over to the other other I'm side. No, but, said that too. <laughs> but he uh, nah he he's great. I, I want him to have a. I hope that the Colts or wherever he ends up, he's able to have a fulfilling, um, you know, kind of uh, tail back end of his career because he's had some successes. They owe him a Super Bowl MVP. He should have won that Super Bowl MVP. But other than that, he he's had a Hall of Fame career. I just want him to be able to go out like he wants to. Yeah, but more than you all just being friends, I mean, you are also an advisor, Bakari. You have helped yeah, me. It, I, yeah, I consider I mean, stuff to people be. People know how you have participated. No, I don't know about that advisor. I like to, I like to say, I like to say that I, I like to say that he, he is one of my best friends, and he's like a little brother. Although we, we share birthday, um, but I love him and Gabby. I love, I love Bash and and Jelly and all the, all of the, 
the whole family over there. I mean, he uh, he has an amazing bride and we all we all talk and travel and try to hang out together as much as possible. So he's a dear friend. Well, speaking of football, um, Bakari, something uh, happened yesterday in the National Football League. And as I was texting you to get ready for this interview, I was making sure that you were paying attention. Matter of fact, I even tagged you in my uh-huh. tweet as uh, Lamar Jackson received a non-exclusive tag in football yesterday uh, by the Baltimore Ravens. And I feel like within an hour's time, multiple teams came out. Uh, from the Dolphins to the Commanders to the Panthers to the Falcons, um, you know, at least through reports uh, saying that they uh, were not going to be pursuing Lamar. What was your instant reaction to that happening? Oh, collusion. I mean, I think that that's pretty, pretty um, clear. It's harder to prove um, in a legal term, but it's pretty, pretty clear that the NFL does not I want individuals um, getting that type of guaranteed money. I think that uh, Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson probably proved to be more of a detriment during this camp, during this contract cycle um, to Lamar than anything else. You mean Deshaun Um, Watson or Russell Wilson? No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I I said Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think I think when Deshaun Watson and I think when Deshaun Watson and Kirk Cousins got guaranteed money, you had individuals after them like Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. who should have sought the same thing, who should mm-hmm. have sought um, that type of guaranteed money. And because they did not, because they settled for less, it puts individuals like um, like uh, Lamar Jackson in a precarious situation. He is, you know, to, to have the Atlanta Falcons literally have, you know, nothing in the quarterback room. <laughs> They have Desmond um, Ritter. Let's you know. Let's not say nothing, but just just to yeah, clean you up a little bit here. But but none, nonetheless, touche. Point taken. I hear yeah. You but and then they wanted to go all in just a year ago for Deshaun Watson, but today all of a sudden they don't want to do anything for Lamar Jackson. It just it just kind of you know the NFC South doesn't have much. I mean, you have Desmond Ritter and you have Matt Corral, um, and now you have uh, you you have uh, David Carr. I mean, but that's that's literally Derek. the point. Derek, where did I get David from? His brother, Derek Carr. On your age, because you're on your age. <laughs> I'm sure on my age. That's true. <laughs> Jesus, the, what did he got? One of the Carr brothers. I'm gonna be when I'm gonna be like, what, we you know who you met. Actually, when you the break what? news came out, the Garofalo put David. You know, we just showed our talking. <laughs> Derek, Derek Carr is the only yeah. quarterback in NFC South, but these other teams uh, say that they don't need him or want him. I do think two first round picks is a bit of a of a high price for uh for some teams to play but it's definitely collusion because i think he deserves that money he is one of the greatest quarterbacks we have in nfl right now but even the even the team in your backyard the panthers through a report i think it was through the athletic came out and said you know they're not pursuing uh lamar what do you think about your panthers or, i mean if well, i mean i i think them, that I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm you know between the panthers and the in the Falcons you get it's mm-hmm. just rough it's rough going down here in the south mm. um but you know maybe they want to rock with Sam Darnold um uh, maybe they want to maybe they believe in in Matt Corral I don't know um but I do I can tell you that whatever team Lamar Jackson is on next year is going to be better for having him there he's that good but you didn't even blink when I said what it is I mean you said outright the collu- it's collusion and when I saw Adam Schefter talking about it today 
you know, he was basically saying, you know, he thought this is more a byproduct of several reporters just asking teams at the time that the tag came out, you know, were they going to pursue Lamar as opposed to it being this coordinated statement to come out at, at this time. Is that the case? Is it happenstance or, I mean, well, no, I mean, or, or is it a I mean, message? I think, hmm? I think, I think Adam, I think Adam, I think Chef D as they call him affectionately um showed you how difficult it actually is to prove collusion i think that that is a that is a very valid and logical defense um but you can't tell me that the carolina panthers the atlanta falcons everybody who was on that list save for the miami dolphins um cannot use lamar jackson um you can't tell me somebody who swings for the fences like uh like uh tepper won't even have a conversation with lamar jackson i just think it's patently absurd well, and then even to the end of my, the Miami Dolphins, obviously they have a very strong and viable starter, led the NFL in um, uh, passer rating uh, last year. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you would still think due diligence is necessary down there just because of the health concerns and always needing to have a contingency plan, not only to protect the team, but the uh, the futures and the football kind of season of the other 52 active players um, on the team as well. Lastly, just as I kind of wrap you up here, because I know you need to go and be very important on CNN and all that other stuff that you do. What do you think should be done, though, about this, Bakari, from your lawyerly mind, from your NFL fandom mind? You know, what should be done? Because Lamar is out here uh, on one hand trying to push forward, you know, the evolution to a certain degree of NFL contracts uh, in the league and stand on that principle, particularly when there are uh, people in the background who have helped uh, and been on that forefront in the NBA yeah. as far as in his ear. Yeah, I, 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 at the end of the day, I mean, as a, as a fan and lawyer, I can tell you that Daniel Jones does not deserve to make more than Lamar Jackson. Mm. Um, there is no, there is no, uh, I think Daniel Jones would tell you that. Um, he did just go to the playoffs and have market improvement under Brian Dayball, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? I'm, I'm just, I'm just the, putting that the, out there before. Only the second, <laughs> only the second unanimous NFL MVP, I think. Uh, 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 I'm not taking away from the accolades. I'm just promoting <laughs> the progress. But, but I do think, I think, I think legally we can call it what it is. It's very hard to prove as an NFL fan. I think he deserves 200 million guaranteed. I think that, um, if not more. I think he. I think Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Watson is a great quarterback. I think Lamar Jackson is better. Um, and you know, as these young guys begin to get these contracts, I look forward to where the new market holds. Wherever he lands, he's going to be a value added. Maybe Baltimore can keep him, but they sure need to show him they love him. All right. Well, tell the folks the name of the books that you have on the market that we should be reading of yours as well. Where you go? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, My Vanishing Country, New York Times bestseller. My memoir. Appreciate you for picking that up. My favorite book, The Who Are Your People, is my children's book, ages four and up. Please go pick it up anywhere books are sold. All right. Well, listen, Bakar, we know you have many things to go do. We appreciate you coming on Undefined with Josine Anderson with yours truly and stopping by for this uh, quaint conversation between the two of us. Have a good uh, day for the rest of whatever. I will. I'm going to get the cars right, the watts right. I'm going to have to settle down. Yeah, because you were saying Deshaun Jackson. You were saying David Carr. Yeah, you were saying the San Diego Chargers. I know. I got to stop showing my age. Well, again, we appreciate Bakari Sellers coming on the Undefined with Josina Anderson podcast. Always nice to have those different conversations outside of football. And always good when you can talk about a multitude of topics, too, 
and um, make it quick. Everything doesn't need to be like a really, really long, long thing. Um, and plus I knew uh, that he had a lot going on. So we appreciate him dropping in. Um, so as I was kind of thinking about a uh, cup of Joe for this podcast, just, you know, it has been a, it has been a long week, you know, from it's been a long month really uh, in the conclusion of the NFL season coming off of Super Bowl and the shortened time that we all in the media have now between the Super Bowl and the combine because of the extra game in the league and now having two weeks in between instead of three and just kind of rushing back <laughs> into the combine. It really is uh, been a lot when you think about just the plethora of news that comes out in Indy and um, you know all the new college prospects that you have to get to know. Um, but I would have to say, you know, just in kind of going through, um, reporting some of these headlines that I have, uh, over the last, you know, four days or so with respect to Lamar Jackson and to Atagovailoa, um, and Miami, I was very, very shocked by just the extent of the reaction, particularly to, um, my Miami report that came out, um, and really more so because, you know, it's funny, you really do a lot to be as clear as you can. And you think things are understood based off of the length of time, you know, you've been, uh, that being you being I in the league, you know, covering uh, NFL news and the headlines and things like that. But, you know, social media and just the sensitivity of how these athletes have evolved and being their own brands and, you know, the the kind of fleeting nature of careers in general in the NFL and just more than ever, more money being involved and needing to seize the moment even more with regards to your shelf life. Um, you know, teams, you know, protecting the, you know, the narrative and doing their job which is, you know, fair from a public relations standpoint. But, you know, one thing that I just wanted to underline again is that when, you, when you're talking about managing a team and being the general manager of front office, you know, the, the forward-facing staff of the uh, organization, um, to me, it is expected that, you are going to consider all options, think through all contingency plans um, to protect the season, to protect um, the work that everybody is putting in, not just at the most important position on the field, to make sure that everybody can work towards the goal, which is to get a Super Bowl. I have covered the Dolphins so much this past year. Um, next to the Eagles, probably uh, one of my most favorite teams to cover. Tyreek Hill is such a great personality, got to know Jalen Waddle, all that other stuff. And I remember being there in training camp and thinking about how much zip and accuracy I was seeing, you know, from the Dolphins side in camp as that was the same time that Tom Brady, you know, was not there because of what he was going through personally, although we didn't necessarily know all the details at the time. So I just remember really being focused on the Dolphins, um, you know, side of the field because they had, you know, kind of split, you know, practices between the offense and the defense from one team and the reverse from the other. And 
um, you know, being at that week two game, as I mentioned in, in various reports already, and, and just seeing the absolute way that he came back with the five touchdowns and all that other stuff. And, but, you know, I was there for week three against the Bills and, you know, what happened there and I'm very well aware that, you know, the team and the quarterback has said that it was in a, you know, concussion, although there was an NFLPA investigation after that. And, um, and, you know, what happened four days later, um, for Thursday night football, um, against the Bengals and being hospitalized and all these other things. And when I see now the response to the report and, you know, people saying, Oh, you know, two is definitely going to be the starter. Well, again, Number one, I feel like if there's anything that I definitely say in front of the camera about a report is because I was a thousand percent told things. And furthermore, um, when you're talking about going through a list of, you know, uh, just quarterbacks and, and, and betting and getting the feedback on them and trying to figure out what you're going to do, not only is this expected, but it makes sense in the specific context of what is to a specific case, given um, what he went through. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of time between now and the start of the season. All of that makes sense. But, you know, we are just talking about the obvious concern. And yes, we're just talking about Tua because we're not talking about Kenny Pickett and everybody else right now. Um, you know, if he were to get another hit again and how he would feel about that, his family would feel about, the organization would feel about that, viewership at large would feel about that. How long that would take how, that, how long that would impact you know what level of um you know what, what level of cachet do the backups have and i know that the dolphins really 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 um have a high opinion of skyler and would even feel comfortable especially under the tutelage of the coaches that they have there that even given more time and more preparation that he could really step in and and, and hold uh you know the mantle with more experience gained from each game um you know, but it's almost like Tyreek told me after a game, you know, like two is the guy with the juice that really, you know, spins the team and gets it to where it needs to be going and really lifts all boats on the field. And, um, you know, what would be the outcome of the season if he's not there? What's the caliber of, you know, quarterback that's there if he's not there? And not to mention that you have other quarterbacks on the market. Now, regardless now, if the Miami Dolphins are saying they're not going to pursue Lamar, they're not going to pursue Aaron. Are you going to sit up here and really say that there weren't discussions about what you're going to do, even if ultimately you're not going to do them? My report is not dependent upon the outcome of there being a switch of quarterback or a change um, in QB1. What we're talking about is exploration, which essentially amounts to due diligence, which essentially makes even more sense if you have a quarterback coming out of the situation that Tua has. So we can qualify this, is it a quarterback needy team or what have you? This is a quarterback concern team, not from a football standpoint, but from a history standpoint. This is not personal, this is not emotional. I absolutely um, you know, think the world of the progress that he made and I've mentioned it many a times on my Twitter if anyone cares to scroll back. Um, but again, that that's exactly what it was. And at the end of the day, you know, as a journalist, you have to stand on your two feet, whether people want to twist it, you, you know, use it for different agendas, whatever it may be or not. Maybe I'm just saying whatever, um, you know, you, you got to stand on your two feet with that. And so we'll we'll see, you know, the fifth year option that has to be exercised. The deadline for that is May 1st. So far, there's not been a long term deal. Um, 
maybe there will be a, a long-term deal or not. Um, but the fact that there isn't one so far, the fact that there has been a change in representation, regardless of whether the fifth year option is exercised or not, which I think it makes business sense for it to be exercised, not because I don't want Tui to get his money, but from a business standpoint, I think it does make sense to go through another year of just kind of seeing what it is and not not picking it up and then having a situation like what happened with the Giants and Daniel Jones is probably spending more money than you wanted to. But whether you don't, whether you don't pick it up, it shows concern. Whether you do pick it up, it shows concern. And if you do go forward with the long-term deal, it shows concern because then I think the conversation is justifiably, is that the right thing to do given his history? Although all the progress that he's made and what he showed on the field definitely merits it. Anyways, I just wanted to, you know, give my little two cents on that. Um, all the Dolphins fans that have been in my DMs, you know, with positive messages, I appreciate y'all. Um, those that have been trying to harass me and, you know, say mean things and all that other stuff. I, 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 that I do not appreciate, but I'm always going to welcome uh, dialogue and always willing to, you know, kind of talk about, you know, uh, insights and things with regards to what went into a, a report. And we move on because certainly, you know, definitely had, um, you know, my share of breaking news over um, a 20 year career here. <laughs> you know, when it's your show, you can kind of get those zingers in too. But, anyways, I appreciate everybody for tuning in and watching and paying attention. Bakari Sellers, we appreciate you coming on as well. And uh, we'll see you next time on Undefined with Josine Anderson.